0: of Alzheimer's and Parkinson's and memory loss is laid at the feet of our metabolic inflexibility.
1: Dr. Stephen Gundry, welcome back to the show. Tom, thanks for having me, great to be here. Dude, it's really good to have you. I really enjoyed this book. As I've said many times on this podcast, I judge a guest by whether the research is going to move me forward in my life, and unlocking the keto code is really intriguing, and I'm super grateful that I'm going to get to drill down on some of these. So keto changed my life. So I used to struggle profoundly with inflammation, and when I discovered keto, it changed everything for me. It changed my relationship to hunger, to inflammation, to all of it. And in the book, you make it very clear that we don't understand some fundamental things about ketosis and ketones. And so let's start with what don't we understand? Well, I guess the best place to start is what we thought
0: we understood about Mm -hmm. ketones. And ketones and ketosis have been known about since the late 1800s. And I hope that a lot of people in the keto community know that the ketogenic diet the, the actual word ketogenic diet was founded in 1930 at the mayo clinic mm. as a treatment method for children with seizure disorders epilepsy
1: how did they figure that out because and, that does not seem like a super obvious at least for me as a layperson, not a super obvious conclusion to draw that that's sugar-based well what they found was that children who had severe
0: epilepsy spent so long post-seizure, and it's got a medical term called post-ictal state, where they're okay, they're not seizing, but they're not really waking up. Mm -hmm. Um, And they spent so many many hours in this post-seizure state, repeated seizures, and then just kind of in a coma, that they didn't eat very much. And they were literally starving. And they made the observation that kids who were starving because they had so many seizures paradoxically had less seizures the more they were starving. Hmm. And so researchers first at Boston and then at the Mayo Clinic said, wait a minute, we know that ketones happen when you're starving, that's when it happens. So it must be that ketones are doing something to these kids' brains. and." are there other ways other than starvation to produce ketones? And one of the ways they found was, well, look, if you deny carbohydrates and really cut back on proteins and give kids mostly fat to eat, then they will make ketones even though they're not starving to death. These kids did very well on a ketogenic diet. 50% 50% of them had complete seizure control. Uh, recently I have got a young man who's a high school student who despite two meds uh, was still having seizures so bad he was in special ed and falling way behind. His mother brought him to me in my clinic in Santa Barbara and we put him on my ketogenic diet which is kinder and friendlier. And the kid woke up, he's off of his medications,
1: he's now... Was he doing any kind of keto before that? No. Okay. Not at all. So went from meds to meds and keto or keto only? Keto only. We took him off his meds.
0: Wow. He woke up, uh, wasn't, you know, drugged. And now he's taking advanced classes and he's actually playing soccer uh, for his soccer team in high school. Mm. And he could not do any of this. I mean, can you imagine a kid with a severe enough seizure disorder to be on two meds now actively play, playing
1: high school soccer? Um, That's crazy. Just by When did this come time? back into vogue? So I had somebody on the show when this was still Inside Quest. His son had um, seizures, epilepsy, and he said they didn't even tell him about ketogenics because they said compliance was so low that they didn't even mention it to parents anymore. And he had to like go do his own research and he found some obscure article in like a journal from the 1950s. He was like, hold on a second, did the same thing, put his son on, boom, total, total remission, yep. has not had a seizure in like 20 plus years.
0: Yeah, well, that's a great point. So the, the ketogenic diet, the high fat ketogenic diet for seizures Once phenobarbital and dilatin came and the new seizure drugs came, uh, it died uh, because kids couldn't do an 80% fat diet. They actually had growth retardation and they just wouldn't follow it. So what happened actually in the 80s was people discovered medium chain triglycerides, MCT oil. And this oil was the miracle oil that some of these TV shows were done. And what they found was that MCT oil could convert into ketones in the liver, and we'll get into why why that happens. And they found that if you put kids on a MCT oil-based diet, you could give them far less MCT oil, far less fats, and you can give them tons of Mm. carbohydrates, which I'm a parent and grandparent now, and you cannot deny children carbohydrates as much as you, as much as we think we should. So these kids could have more carbohydrates, more
1: protein. They could grow and develop normally, but they'd still stop their seizures. How much do you have to reduce the carbohydrate intake if you're using MCT oil? You can't just, you can't just add MCT oil, right? You still have to modify Really? So no matter how much carbohydrate I'm intaking.
0: What's amazing is, and this is human studies, you can take a tablespoon of MCT oil, which is not much, mm-hmm. and you can actually, within a half an hour, generate a generous amount of ketone body production from point the five, At least
1: 0.5.81 From one tablespoon of, ket- of MCT oil. I've never tried it, so I can't deny it, but man, knowing how hard it is to produce ketones without it, that's scandalous.
0: Yeah, and and that was the beauty of this. And so when I, you know, I actually started writing this after I wrote The Energy Paradox, which we've talked about, and I was trying to explain, uh, you know, where ketones fit into all this in terms of energy production. And as you know, I like to back up what I say with research, either my own or somebody else's. And as I was trying to explain how beneficial ketones were for energy production, for protecting mitochondria, for turning mitochondria into fat-burning efficient machines, when I started looking at the research to back up what I was saying, I went, holy cow. I'm wrong about this, and so is
1: everybody else. Mm. Ketones aren't some fantastic- how do you deal with that? Most people cannot, especially if they've talked about it publicly, they can't change their position. Hopefully
0: that's make makes me one of the more believable nutritionists
1: around because I'm always willing to say I was wrong. So what was the first thing that made you go, oh, wait a second, I don't think we were on the right path? Well, one of the most, you know, amazing things. And I've had a ketogenic
0: diet in all my books. For the last 20 years, I've had a ketogenic program for my patients. And looking back, when you actually look at the list of things I allow on my ketogenic diet, there's tons of carbohydrates, and yet it works extremely well. And I've been using MCT oil for my program from kind of day one. So I, and I've written that Ketones make you an efficient fat burner. And I firmly believe that. So I was going to prove how ketones actually make your mitochondria incredibly efficient at making energy. And probably the best way to explain this is we know that ketones were discovered during starvation. Mm. And nobody quite figured out why they were produced uh, until the 1930s. But then how ketones came about to be known what they did really started in the late 70s, 80s, up to the year 2004 at both Harvard with George Kale and Dr. Owens and Dr. Veach at the NIH. And they wanted to know, well, what were ketones doing? We don't do things by accident. And so they started to look at okay, human beings clearly have starved for multiple times. Um, we didn't have. As a species. As a species. We didn't have 7 Elevens next to us. We, we didn't have fast food. We, we didn't have refrigeration. We didn't have storage systems. And we had to find or kill food. And there were famines, and there were times not much food. So we were designed, when we found food, to store a lot of it as fat. Mm -hmm. And I've written about this in previous books. Great apes, interestingly enough, only gain weight during fruit season. And fruit season doesn't happen year-round in a jungle. Mm -hmm. It really only happens in the summer and early fall. We gained weight because the winter and spring was actually times of less food. So it became beneficial to take fruit and convert it into fat so we can make it through the winter. And that d- defect, it's actually a genetic mutation that allowed great apes to do that, we inherited as well. So we're really good at storing fat.
1: Mm. In fact- Yes, we are. Yes, we are. In fact, we're- I'm better than most.
0: We're called the fat ape for a reason. Uh, we're, we, we best all apes at, at storing fat. So when we don't have any food, Normally, and I talk a lot about in this book, and you and I have talked about this, most of us should have metabolic flexibility mm-hmm. in our mitochondria, and mitochondria are the little energy producing organelles that take we, the food we eat and produce ATP,
1: our energy currency. And mitochondria, for anybody that doesn't know, are like aliens they inside are. of our cell. They have their own DNA, which is crazy, and I still don't understand how that's possible, but nonetheless, it is true. and at some point, two cells combined, and they were able to handle oxygen by the mitochondria wrapping inside of the cell, which is bananas. And there's actually a gaggle of them inside of every cell. Yes, uh, there's a bunch of them. Unlike our high school biology textbook that might have
0: shown one or two mitochondria per mm. cell, there can be thousands of mitochondria. And they're actually engulfed, they're engulfed bacteria mm. from 2 billion years ago. And they actually carry, you're right, their own DNA. And the cool thing about that and an important part of the book is that mitochondria can divide and make more mitochondria without the cell they're living in dividing mm. so if a mitochondria gets the right stimulation and that's part of the book they'll make lots more of themselves and to share the energy load so getting back to starvation normally you and i hopefully When we run out of sugar, we can immediately start burning free fatty acids. And that's the flexibility you're talking about. Sugar can burn fat. Yeah. We should be a hybrid car. Uh, If we burn gasoline, we'll call that sugar. When the gasoline runs out, we've been storing energy in our battery. And when the gasoline runs out, we switch over to battery power until we go fill up at the filling station. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, here's the weird thing. 50% of normal weight individuals have no metabolic flexibility. 50%
1: of us. Just because of modern diets. We're eating all the time. We are never in a quote-unquote starvation phase. Correct. If you're you're overweight, 88%
0: cannot shift between burning sugar and fat. If you're overweight, uh, if you're obese, 99.5% of people
1: cannot shift to burning fat and as what's, a And what does that mean? Why does that matter?
0: Well, you normally, if you and I stop eating tonight, uh, whenever, about eight hours after we stop eating, we should actually run out of glucose as mm-hmm. a fuel and we should shift over to burning free fatty acids and ketones as a fuel until we get our next meal. That's normal. And by 12 hours of not eating, we actually ramp up ketone production to pretty much take over our brain's need for fuel temporarily. And your brain actually, if it runs out of sugar, starts dying. So the implication for that- So the brain is never without sugar? Believe it or not, the brain normally would run out of sugar in about eight hours after we stop eating. Normally, runs out of sugar. And it shifts over to using ketones as a temporary fuel. The reason it can shift over is once we stop eating, we start liberating free fatty acids, fat, from our fat cells. So you're saying it would die if we didn't have ketones. Correct. Got it, okay. So normally, those free fatty acids come out of fat cells Every one of our cells, except the brain, can use free fatty acids as a fuel and use them very well. And this has been, again, proven at Harvard and the NIH. Our muscles love free fatty acids. My research on the heart years ago showed that the heart prefers burning free fatty acids instead Mm. of sugar. It's favorite fuel. In fact, we protect the heart during heart surgery by putting fats into the heart. How? Uh, through the veins and the arteries. I invented You it. inject fat? Yeah, yeah. Well, we dissolve it in what? our cardioplegia. Yeah.
1: Whoa. So um, without that metabolic flexibility, then what happens? What happens is what we're discovering right now
0: is that your brain cannot get life-saving ketones to burn as an alternative fuel and your brain runs out of glucose as a fuel because you don't have any available, and your brain for several hours a night until you eat again, neurons die. And there's no doubt that our epidemic of Alzheimer's and Parkinson's and memory loss is laid at the feet of our metabolic inflexibility
1: Hmm. Mm. okay so that is certainly terrifying but means that we can do something about it so going back to where we left off so we go into starvation mode we start kicking off these ketones that feels like the sort of story up to before this book people understood that so where do you begin to go wait a second we have a problem here okay so we can make ketones uh, we
0: make ketones from free fatty acids. They go to the liver, and the liver generates ketones. Now, the liver, interestingly enough, can't use ketones as a fuel. They're incapable. They don't have the enzyme to do it. Can it use free fatty acid? Yes. Okay. <clears throat> the liver loves free fatty
1: acids. As fat is oxidized, we get free fatty acids, and we can snatch them out of the bloodstream and use them. Right, and they're a great fuel, fabulous fuel. So what everybody thought.
0: But they can't cross the blood-brain barrier. That's the problem, right? Because they're too big and fat, if you will. So as luck would have it, ketone bodies, ketones, are water-soluble, small fats. And they can get through the blood-brain barrier. So the brain can use ketones until glucose arrives Mm. the next morning or for several days. Now... That piece of the puzzle wasn't known. So people like Cahill, people like George Veach said, wow, ketones are clearly what made humans survive for a long time because we could use them as a fuel without burning up our muscle to make glucose. Mm -hmm. We can convert muscle protein into sugar. It's called gluconeogenesis. And they actually showed that if you literally had to live on glucose as a fuel,
1: your muscles would be gone after about a week of starvation. So the only way for gluconeogenesis to happen is from muscle tissue.
0: Yeah, but you can also make gluconeogenesis from breaking glycerol molecules off of triglycerides and convert that into glucose. So there is a way to get sugar from fat. Got it. We're really good at turning sugar into fat. We're really bad at turning fat back into sugar. Mm. We just don't have the enzyme system to do it. So when this ketone was found, everybody said, wow, that explains everything. We can run on ketones and be great. Not so fast. Dr. Owens at, uh, at Harvard showed that at full ketosis, human beings can only meet 30% of their calorie needs by burning ketones. The rest have to come from free fatty acids and glucose. So that's kind of weird if they're such a great fuel. Mm -hmm. The brain, it turns out, even at full ketosis, only 60% of the brain's needs can be met by ketones. And the brain still needs thirty to forty percent of its fuel as glucose, even at full ketosis. So when I read that research, I went, "Well, wait a minute. This is not some super fuel. The body doesn't even view it as a super fuel." But we don't do things for you know not a good reason. What the heck are ketones actually doing that's so beneficial? And that's what when I went down the rabbit hole and came out with unlocking the keto code. Because ketones are not a super fuel. They are actually a signaling molecule that tells mitochondria to protect themselves at all costs from damage and to save themselves at all costs if you are starving to death. Because quite frankly, if we're starving to death, If you don't protect your mitochondria that make energy Mm. that's the end of us that you die you're done so uh, i read a silly little paper it's actually maybe one of the most important papers i've ever read by uh, dr uh, martin brand in the year 2000 and it's a simple paper called uncoupling to survive Mm. and i hope all your viewers and listeners dig it up you know check with google it's there and what he said was well, it, it just you know talk about a paradox and he said look in extremis the mitochondria has to survive so the mitochondria is instructed by ketones to literally start wasting a lot of the calories that it would normally process
1: into ATP and throw them away. My brain broke when I read that part of the book. I know. And I took down a note. I was like, hold on. And I know you answer it. But I was like, there has to be an evolutionary advantage to this. I cannot see how in a moment of starvation we would want to kick off extra energy and quote unquote waste it. You guys know I have a very strict diet that I stick to, except for very special occasions, and I do that so that I can bring my best every day to what I'm doing. And a big part of that strict diet is high-quality animal protein, and my go-to source of trustworthy meats and seafoods with no added hormones or antibiotics ever is ButcherBox. ButcherBox is a premium meat subscription service that delivers 100% grass-fed beef, free-range organic chicken, pork-raised, crate-free, and wild-caught seafood all directly to your door. I cannot recommend ButcherBox enough. When you eat ButcherBox, you are giving your body the best possible building blocks to work with so you can reach your full potential. You've got to take care of yourself at a cellular level if you want to hit your peak consistently. So ButcherBox is the key. Sign up at butcherbox.com impact and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. And that means you can choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com impact and use code impact to choose your free for a year offer. Plus get $20 off your first order. and analysis. Visit the incredible brand that so many great investors use at yahoofinance.com. It's the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Once again, guys, head there now, yahoofinance.com. At least for me, this is all coming together at a moment where it feels like there's these breakthroughs in science, which are all pointing to the depression of the mitochondria and their ability to produce energy in a good way, which is weird. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I, you know, I and most ketogenic diet experts have always taught that ketosis, you teach your mitochondria to be energy efficient, Mm. to get energy out of every last calorie because you're starving to death. So you need to turbocharge and supercharge your mitochondria to eke out every last drop of energy. And that makes incredibly It's sense. intuitive. It feels right. It feels really good. But what Brand said, no, you're wrong. They do the exact opposite. And you go, no, 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 no. no. There's no food. Why in the world would you waste food? Mm. So what he showed was, and I... I have a fun time in the book talking about the My mito club. club. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep, let's hear about it. Yeah, so so mitochondria uh, make energy by energizing electrons and protons in this long tube called the electron transport chain inside a mitochondria, and I likened this long tube to the hottest hipp- hippest club in town where people go to the club to couple to meet someone to hook up to hook up and if they hook up they exit the club and they let the imagination get run some energy get some energy make some, some energy and this club is it's hot it's crowded there's there's hormones through the roof There's alcohol flowing and everybody's bumping into each other and everybody's trying to couple with everybody else. Normally, oxygen should couple with a proton and exit the back door and make ATP. uh, Oxidative phosphorylation, some people have heard. But because it's crowded and there may not be a lot of available protons that people want to couple with, Electrons could also couple with oxygen, and they're not supposed to, and they get, they make nasty free radicals and reactive oxygen species, and punches start being thrown, chairs are flying, and beer is flying, and there's bouncers in the club to try and calm this down, and everybody knows about antioxidants. Uh, Turns out there's only two antioxidants in mitochondria. Uh, Surprise, surprise. Melatonin, which most people don't Mm. even know is an antioxidant, the sleep hormone, and glutathione. Um, There's only two. So they're the bouncers. So getting back, the club is hot. It's energy. There's damage being done. you got to keep this club under control. So everybody's trying. There's only one way out of this club through this back door. But people are getting frustrated and they want to leave because it's a bad day to couple and they're not coupling. So it turns out there's emergency exits in the club where if things get too hot, if people get too frustrated, they can push open an emergency exit and leave the club. The mitochondria have emergency exits. And there's actually five emergency exits in our electron transport chain. And they're controlled uh, by uncoupling proteins. Now, I spent six months trying to figure out a better word for uncoupling. Uh, and Because people think of uncoupling like uh, Gwyneth Paltrow getting divorced. I uncoupled my marriage. Uh, But uncoupling means that instead of joining a proton with an oxygen molecule to make ATP, The proton leaves the club, leaves the mitochondria without making energy. So what Brand showed and others have subsequently confirmed is that mitochondria at rest, you and I sitting here, 30% of all the calories that enter our mitochondria right now are going through these emergency exits and never making ATP, 30% just here. Normally. Normally. Not in starvation mode, just normally. Normally. You and I sitting here, and you go, what a stupid idea. You and I have to eat 30% more calories every day Mm. just to make our normal amount of ATP. And you go, well, why would I do that? Well, it turns out generating heat is what those calories do. And you and I are warm-blooded animals. And is that the only way we generate
1: heat? It's actually the only way we generate okay, heat. Okay, so the emergency exit is how we stay warm.
0: Correct. And it turns out that brown fat, which a lot of people have heard out. Mm. Brown fat is our energy, our heat producing fat. Does that mean that brown fat has more mitochondria in it? It's so many mitochondria that it looks brown under the microscope. Okay. They That's are crammed in there. And we thought brown fat only existed in babies to keep them warm. Uh, And there is a lot of brown fat in babies. But we now know that you and I actually have brown fat, and the more brown fat we have, the healthier we are. Hmm. And We'll get to that. And what Brand eventually showed is, if you look at the super old people, folks 105 and above, who are thriving, they have the most uncoupled mitochondria of anybody. And you go, what? So wait a minute. Uncoupling mitochondria must have huge benefits that none of us knew about. Let's get back to ketones. So ketones tell mitochondria that trouble is afoot and to protect yourselves at all costs. So, the first thing you do, mitochondria, is don't damage yourself by making energy. And making energy is very damaging to mitochondria. So, waste, you know, making energy, waste more calories, protect yourself, cool it a bit. But, secondarily, that makes no sense because you gotta have enough ATP to survive. So simultaneously, the mitochondria is instructed to make more mitochondria to share the workload. Now think about this. The Iditarod is you know, being run, and let's have a one-dog one dog sled. Well, yeah, the dog can pull the sled, but he's not going to go very far before he tuckers out. But if you hook six dogs to the sled, each dog has a sixth of the workload that the one dog has. So they can go a lot farther with six of them doing less work. Now, the consequence of that is they actually are going to eat more food than the single dog to accomplish the same thing. Mm. So now you go, wait a minute. A ketogenic diet is a really good weight loss diet can't be because the mitochondria are more efficient because if they're more efficient, they can get more calorie, more food more We're energy out for of the calorie. buck right And in fact, you lose weight. So what happens is you actually in a ketogenic diet, if you do it right and uncouple your mitochondria, you waste fuel. You feed six dogs instead of
1: one. and that's where the benefit of ketosis comes from. Okay, so now I'm trying to pin down the evolutionary advantage. So I'm in starvation mode. Yep. That's when I'm producing ketones. Why on earth would starvation mode trigger my mitochondria to waste more energy and become less efficient? To protect themselves at all costs. So it's purely a protective mechanism. It's an evolutionary protective design to save the mitochondria at all costs. Dear human body, I cannot keep taking this rate of damage for you. I have to conserve, the only way to conserve is to release more of these out of the emergency exit so I don't have to process them, take on the free radicals and all the damage. So go out, my temperature theoretically should feel like it's going up subjectively? Uh, believe it or not, a lot of people
0: do. And we'll get into the munition workers in France and Germany in mm. World War I, which actually proved his theory. Nobody knew that that proved his theory, but uh, that's what happened to them. Yeah, you actually should raise your temperature Um, Just as a a fun fact, you ever notice when you have a cup of coffee or tea, even if it's iced coffee or iced tea, uh, many of us go, gee, you know, I'm kind of glistening even though I'm having an iced coffee. Uh, You actually produce more heat having a cup of coffee because both the caffeine and the polyphenols in coffee and tea uncouple your mitochondria
1: and have them generate heat. Huh. So interesting. Okay, so I, my mitochondria is protecting itself by uncoupling, they're getting rid of this stuff. They're uh, making more of themselves okay.
0: to share the workload. Each one is working less hard so that they aren't being damaged, Right. but you're recruiting more mitochondria. And the amazing thing is, during ketosis or other things that stimulate mitochondria to uncouple, you actually generate more mitochondria and mitochondria in starvation will devote all the protein manufacturing in the cell to make more of their proteins and they'll actually not make muscle protein. Screw the muscles their energy hogs mm. we're not going to build muscle if we're starving we are going to build more mitochondria
1: to work less hard screw everybody else all right here's where this gets complicated for me though so that all makes sense I'm I'm tracking with that uh, in the book you talk about how it does um, the way that it further, stops the muscles from taking the energy is that it makes you insulin resistant. So, and when you look at like what happens with fructose and uric acid, there's a similar thing going on, Correct. which is, hey, raise insulin, which seems like it's bad in a modern context, but from a survive a famine context, it's actually brilliant because it traps the fat, makes you use it more slowly, it's hard to get out yep. to make sure that you don't burn through the energy and end up dead. Correct. But the munitions facility that you alluded to The way that we end up dead real fast is this process on a runaway train. Is it just that I can exit people out the emergency exit way faster, way more dramatically than I can stop the fat from pouring out? Walk people through what happened in the munition factory. Okay. Um,
0: In World War I, it was noted that munition workers in France and Germany who were assembling shells and working with gunpowder were extremely thin, even though they were eating huge amounts of food. And they could not keep weight on. And they were running a temperature 24 hours a day. And it wasn't until the late 1920s when they realized that these guys' basal metabolic rate, BMR, was elevated. And it took a couple of doctors at Stanford in 1930 to say, son of a gun, we've discovered the compound that did it in these munition workers. And it was called 24 phenol. And keep that word phenol in everybody's mind. We'll come back. Oh, yes, it will. And it's called DNP. So they actually said, oh my gosh, DNP raises the metabolic rate. And it is the world's best weight loss drug that nobody's ever heard of. So in the 1930s, in America alone, over a hundred thousand prescriptions for DNP were written by physicians. And it was a miracle weight loss drug. You took a little bit of DNP every day, you'd lose a pound a week. That's insane. But if you took a lot of DNP, you could lose five pounds per week. You talk about a miracle and just a little bit more and you can be dead. Yeah, now here's the problem. What happened was as more and more and more people got on the bandwagon and saw they could lose a huge amount of weight, people were running temperatures. They started noticing that thyroids were having a problem. Then a lot of people developed cataracts and this was before cataract surgery. And as I joke, can you imagine being able to fit into your skinny dress and not see how good you look in the mirror? Uh, Because you're blind. And then people started dying, dying like flies. And so the FDA, uh, in the late 1930s, 1938, is one of their first official acts banned DNP for sale. Mm -hmm. But it turns out that in 1978, it was discovered that DNP worked because it was the first known oral uh, mitochondrial uncoupler and dnp was so effective because it literally turned human beings from being toyota priuses which are very fuel efficient to being ferraris which are incredibly fuel inefficient now as i talk about in the book there might be reasons you and i would want a ferrari Rather than just wasting fuel, mm-hmm. but the point is, we these people threw fuel out all these side exits of their mitochondria. What does it become when it
1: takes the emergency exit?
0: It actually produ- produces heat. That's why all these That's people it. were running it's a kicks
1: off is just heat. Kicks off Nothing as else.
0: Heat. In fact,
1: looking back um,
0: at Gundry MD, we have a number of products with thermogenic compounds. Compounds that we've known for years produce thermogenesis, Mm -hmm. make heat. Lo and behold, every one of these compounds uncouples mitochondria. And lo and behold,
1: that's why they're thermogenic compounds. They make heat. Okay, so now I think we come back to phenols, polyphenols specifically. What are those, why do they matter, and how do we begin to get into the new, friendlier ketogenic diet?
0: So, uh, DNP, phenol. Phenol, hmm, where have I heard that word before? Polyphenols. Polyphenols are used by plants to protect their energy-producing organelles which are their mitochondria, but they're called chloroplasts. So let's go back to us for just a second. Oxygen, we have to have oxygen to make ATP normally. Oxygen is very damaging to our mitochondria, all these free oxygen radicals, blah, blah, blah. So we can't live without oxygen, but we can't live with with it. And so we have to, you know, sop up the damage, the oxygen does. Plants, on the other hand, have to have sunlight. And they kind of reverse engineer. They take photons from sunlight, combine it with CO2, and they make glucose and ATP. Sunlight is damaging to the plant mitochondria, the chloroplasts. So they actually generate polyphenols to protect their mitochondria from damage, their chloroplasts. We get to see every fall the polyphenols in plants because the green chlorophyll goes away and all of those beautiful colors of yellows, oranges, reds, dark colors are the polyphenols that the plant generated to protect and uncouple mm. the mitochondria plants and it turns out the way they protect the mitochondria is to uncouple them to make them work less hard and the less hard their mitochondria work the less damage sunlight does to them now we eat plants and the polyphenols in plants do two things number one we don't absorb polyphenols from plants very well but our bacteria actually love polyphenols. They're actually a prebiotic fiber for bacteria. Mm. And the bacteria then convert those polyphenols into absorbable polyphenols, which then go to our mitochondria and uncouple them. It's, I can, every time I say this, I hear the Lion King, the circle of life playing in my head. You know, oh, you know, we eat the plants, but then we die and the plants Mm. eat us. So the plants are protecting themselves with polyphenols. When we eat the plant polyphenols, we uncouple our mitochondria the same way. There's the benefit of polyphenols.
1: Head right now to netsuite.com slash theory. Again, that's netsuite.com slash theory. Get the information you need. Head to netsuite.com slash theory. Okay, so they are, technically we're getting like a metabolite of the bacteria processing, the polyphenols. Correct. It, It isn't showing up as a ketone. Nope. So how many things trigger the uncoupling? So we know ketones do it as a signaling molecule. We've got a whole host of polyphenols or some polyphenols better. So a whole host of polyphenols. You, you
0: choose the polyphenol, I'll show you a paper that shows the action of that polyphenol is to uncouple mitochondria. I'll give you from last week. Um, One of my compounds at Gundry MD is called Total Restore, which is, in my humble opinion, a really good gut-repairing compound, gut wall compound. One of the things that I used long before I used that was a compound called Wormwood. And people probably have heard of Wormwood. It's in a lot of compounds to repair the gut. And just for fun, uh, last week uh, I, I saw a paper that a type of wormwood uh, worked by uncoupling mitochondria. Mm. And I went, what the heck? I didn't know wormwood could do that. So I started Googling wormwood and uncoupling mitochondria. Do this in your spare time, great fun. And lo and behold, five papers come up that wormwood mechanism of action is uncoupling mitochondria. Mm. And so you start going down this, this rabbit hole And you find out that there's literally just one thing that makes all the difference in a person's health, and that is hitting the right dose of mitochondrial uncoupling and getting the compounds that will do that. And just to pique everybody's interest, there's an interesting theory of aging called the rate of living hypothesis. And the rate of living hypothesis is that basically you only have so many calories that you're granted in your life. That you can process. Yeah, if you use up those calories quickly, that's the end. If you use up those calories slowly, uh, that's great. And it fits pretty good. Little tiny animals don't live very long. They have really super high metabolic rates. Big animals, like an elephant, uh, live a long time, and they have fairly low metabolic rates. The problem with that theory is birds. Birds are very small in the scheme of things, but a hummingbird in captivity, which has one of the highest basal metabolic rates right. measured, can live 10 years. A parrot can live 80 to 100 years. What? Yeah. Guess what? birds do better than any creature
1: mitochondrial uncoupling bingo there it is they have
0: the most uncoupled mitochondria of any species
1: okay now because I've read the book I feel like I'm cheating a little bit but uh so birds probably are dinosaurs that crossed and so are we assuming that due to asteroid impact they became birds because they were already good at mitochondrial uncoupling, and that's how they were able to survive that period?
0: I think it's this beautiful theory. I don't think anybody's actually,
1: you know, actually spouted that out loud. But yeah, I mean, they are the last dinosaurs. It's very interesting. So given that we are descended from mammals that also survived that period, it certainly makes a lot of sense that we would have survived if we already had that ability, and then I know humans, like by the time we became humans, there were twice that I think we were forced through these really narrow yep. periods where yep. there yeah. were very yep. few humans left.
0: Yeah, we were down sixty thousand years ago. We were down probably to one woman and probably a few guys. she's it got that small? Yeah, she's mitochondrial Eve. All of us uh, can be traced back to one female. Whoa. Yeah. All of us, and you know, just just so everybody knows, mitochondria actually are—they uh, have their own DNA, mm-hmm. their own genome. Mitochondria are only transmitted from the female. Uh, you and I know we're just drones. We we have no useful purpose other than being a drone. So we we don't give any mitochondrial DNA. Mm-hmm. So you can actually look at mitochondrial DNA. So there's mitochondrial DNA in the egg. Yep. That's crazy. Yeah, but there's none in the sperm. Uh, No mitochondria go into the egg. That's really And what's really cool, and I've talked about this before, I mean, what's really do-do-do-do, we get all of our microbiome initially from our mother Mm. passing through the birth canal, hopefully. Yep. And so our bacteria are female, and our mitochondria are female. And as I've talked about and other people have proven, these female bacteria talk to their sisters, the female mitochondria, and they literally text each other. And that language was discovered, it got the Nobel Prize um, of postbiotics. And I talk a lot about postbiotics as well, the communication system between the microbiome and their sisters, the mitochondria. And it's It's like, I mean, it's crazy. I mean, the design, you just have to sit there and and marvel at at the design. And then you start marveling at, okay, how do we tweak the benefits of this Mm. design? How do we maximize the benefits of that design? And that's why one of the cool things is, yeah, we can uncouple mitochondria via a ketogenic diet, a high-fat ketogenic diet no question about it. But do we want to do that 24-7? No, because eventually, like you mentioned, you will become insulin resistant to stop the muscles from stealing the calories, and you'll eventually start losing muscle mass, eventually, if you continue 24-7 ketosis for a long time. So you want to cycle in and out of ketosis on a 24-hour basis. And, Book shows okay here's some tricks Um, let's do intermittent fasting time-restricted eating let's stay in ketosis for 15 16 hours a day so what window do you recommend so uh, dr. Matheson from the NIH from the National Institutes of Aging wrote a beautiful paper a couple years ago um, that shows probably six hours is the best window okay six hours of eating um, 18 fasts, 16.
1: 18 yeah, fast uh, 6 hours. Does, Does show, he have an opinion on number of meals in the 6 hours? It actually doesn't matter. And I go
0: into that, again, there's a lot of fun, nerdy stuff in here. Uh, a guy by the name, Rafael de Cabo, also at the NIH, showed that all the calorie restriction literature, and calorie restriction, you know, cutting 30% of all the calories you eat every day is really the only Bonafide, proven way to extend lifespan across mm-hmm. multiple species, but the problem is it's unsustainable. Um, there is a calorie restriction society in the United States. Uh, it's hilarious. They're they're miserable individuals. They're
1: cold. They uh, they're miserable. They're hungry. Uh, Why aren't they warm? because if they're putting themselves in starvation mode, they're they've, triggering this whole thing. They've
0: literally now gone into a thrifty gene mode. They're so far so down the line. So you pass through this. You pass through this, correct. Then, you know, they're, they're so far down the line. But the Cabo said, hey, wait a minute. I think we've got this calorie restriction wrong because we're controlling the animal's food and we're putting the food in their cage and we're giving them X amount of food, I wonder if the time of day that we put the food into the animal's cage and the time they're eating the food and the time they're not eating the food was really what the difference was. So he designed an experiment, uh, which is really kind of cool. He designed an experiment based on the rhesus monkey studies of the University of Wisconsin and the National Institutes of Aging. And these were calorie-restricted monkeys, but only the University of Wisconsin study showed extended longevity. The uh, NIA study showed no extended longevity. And they had different diets. And he said, I'll tell you what, I think you guys are both wrong. I'll bet you it's the time of eating. So he designed an experiment where they had a calorie-restricted group of both diets for rats, but he had a third group that that all their food came out at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And animals ate it quite rapidly. And they still actually they ate up all their calories in about 8 to 12 hours. And then they were fasting, about 12 hours at least. Mm. And that's a long time for a rat. They compare them to rats who got their food all day long and all night long. The rats who got food all day long, all night, had no metabolic flexibility. They couldn't make Mm. a change between burning sugar and burning fats. The rats who got full calories but had it put out at three o'clock in the afternoon had metabolic flexibility. The rats who were calorie restricted also had metabolic flexibility. So then they looked at longevity. The rats that had a full day's calories but ate at three o'clock in the afternoon lived 11% longer than the rats who got a full days of calories that they ate all day and all night. Hmm. Now, for us, that equates to a 10-year increase in lifespan.
1: Now, is that on the same amount of calories? On the same amount of calories. That's crazy.
0: Well, it's not so crazy because the Italian athlete study proves the point in humans. And what's that? This is a really cool study, they took Italian cyclists and they put them on a training table for three months. And most people know what a training table is. You guys, here it is, this is, this is the food you're getting. And everybody had to eat the exact same food, the exact same amount of calories. All they did is change how often the guys got to eat. Mm-hmm. One group, they got three meals a day. One group got breakfast at eight o'clock in the morning, got lunch at 1 o'clock in the afternoon, had to finish dinner by 8 o'clock at night, a 12-hour eating window. The other group, same food, got breakfast at 1 o'clock in the afternoon, lunch at 4 o'clock in the afternoon, and had to finish dinner at 8 o'clock at night, same amount of calories, followed for three months, same exercise program. The group that ate a 12-hour window stayed the same weight. The group that ate in a seven-hour window lost weight, lost significant amount of weight. But their performance was the same. Here's the best part, maybe the take-home message. You and I know there's probably our best method to predict longevity is a blood test called insulin-like growth factor 1, IGF-1. Probably the best indicator of whether mTOR is activated or not. Uh, The guys who ate the seven-hour window, their IGF-1s plummeted. Mm. The guys who ate the 12-hour window had no change in their IGF-1. So the take-home message was it wasn't the calories the guys were eating. It was the time period that they were eating the calories. Now, why is that? Early on, I mentioned that most of us, if we have metabolic flexibility, start making ketones about eight hours after we stop eating. And by 12 hours, we've really started, you know, mm. kicking up our ketones. So those are the 12-hour guys. They're just kicking into ketone big time, and then they eat. Right. It stops the ketone production. The other guys, they're kicking into ketones, and then they're waiting another five hours to get their first bite of food. So they're producing ketones five additional hours. Mm -hmm. So they got five hours every day to uncouple their mitochondria before they go back and stop the process. So it's the cycling in and Mm -hmm. out of getting the benefits of ketosis without full ketosis that makes all the difference.
1: It's amazing. Okay, so now that we understand the mechanism, which at least for me is huge, once I understand it, I don't know, there's something happens in my brain, I can really get behind it. Um, give us a quick thumbnail sketch, animal meat, plant? Like how should we be eating? What's, what's that look like in a rough nutshell?
0: Well, here's one of the big revelations for me. Um, as you know, I, I'm the only nutritionist that spent most of my career living in a blue zone, Loma Linda, California. Uh, it's the only blue zone in the United States, by the way. Sad. And one of the things that shocked me when, when I moved to Loma Linda was the amount of fat, and particularly dairy fat, in the Adventist diet. And I met with the nutritionists at the hospital and, because the, the food in the hospital cafeteria and Adventists are... Uh, vegetarians mm. or vegans, about 36 uh, percent of Adventists are vegetarians. Uh, about five percent are vegans. Uh, number are pescatarians, but so a great deal of the Adventists are vegetarians or at least pescatarians. Right, and yet 50 percent of their diet was dairy fat, from whoa yogurt. Fifty percent. Fifty percent, yogurts a lot and cheeses. And I'm going. You, you're killing. You know my, my patients. You know I'm a heart surgeon. You know I'm a cardiologist. You're killing my patients. And they go, uh, no, we're not. Uh, we're the longest living people in the United States. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, do your homework. And I go, you're, you're, you're killing our patients. So as I was researching this book, uh, I said, you know, the Adventists eat a lot of cheese and dairy. Let's look at the other blue zones. So you look at Sardinia, which is another blue zone. You look at the Nagoyan Peninsula in Costa Rica, which is another blue zone. You look at Icaria, which is a Greek island. And lo and behold, the Sardinians are unique in that the Sardinians are basically two populations. There's the folks who live up in the mountain and the folks who live down by the sea. It turns out only the people who live up in the mountain have longevity. I see. That's interesting. And they're sheep herders and goat herders. And they eat huge amounts of goat and sheep cheese. Mm. The folks who live down by the sea don't, aren't goat and sheep herders, and they don't eat goat and sheep cheese. So there was a beautiful paper. We didn't put it in the book, but I'll tell you, that showed that the difference was the fact that these guys were eating goat and sheep cheese. So now you go, wait a minute, what's so cool about goat and sheep cheese? Something in there that's uncoupling mitochondria. I have a hunch. You got it. It turns out that 30% of the calories in goat and sheep milk are medium chain triglycerides, MCTs. In fact, most of the MCT fats are named after the Latin word for goat, capra. There's capric acid, caprylic acid, uh, goat because goat milk and sheep milk have tons of MCTs. And remember, MCTs are unique in that they go directly to the liver and generate ketones. Mm -hmm. So these guys were generating ketones just by eating goat and sheep cheese. Let's jump to the Nagoyan Peninsula. Now, a lot of bean eating and corn eating in Costa Rica and on the Nagoyan Peninsula. But what's so unique about the nagoyan peninsula is that they're goat and sheep herders mm. and there's a beautiful paper that showed the difference is the goat and sheep cheese not the beans and corn but cows don't do it for some reason no nope, they don't make mcts mm. let's jump to Akaria. two factors in icaria their goat and sheep herders. They have yogurt every day, they have goat and sheep cheese every day, and they eat a weed, a common weed, called purslane as a major part of their diet. People see purslane growing in sidewalk cracks all the time. It's uh, moss roses, portulaca that people have in their gardens. They eat it as salads. It turns out that purslane has an amazing short-chain omega fat called alpha-linolenic acid that I profile in the book. Alpha-linolenic acid is magnificent for uncoupling mitochondria. So it turns out that four of the five blue zones get their benefit by uncoupling mitochondria. Mm. And it turns out that the Okinawans, 85% of the ancient Okinawan diet was a purple sweet potato. It wasn't rice. They don't do it. It wasn't soybeans. They only use miso. Hmm. It was the purple sweet potato, which is full of the purple polyphenols. Do they inside. not have that anymore? Now the Okinawans are eating a Western diet. But, so all of these guys were uncoupling their mitochondria.
1: All right. So cool. eating goat and sheep cheese. Yeah. Purple Okinawan potatoes, yeah. and we're going to uncouple until the end of time.
0: It basically, yeah. So, I mean, the great thing is you don't have to suffer eating an incredibly boring, high-fat diet if you have goat and sheep cheese. My wife and I literally have goat or sheep cheese every night before dinner now. But you're plant-leaning, right? So, Oh, yeah, yeah. But, you know, again, when I when we talk about eat the rainbow and everybody talks about eating the rainbow, what we're actually saying is eat polyphenol-laden mm-hmm. plants. That's literally what we're saying because the rainbow are those polyphenols. Right. And I go into the ancient spice trade from the Middle Ages. Yes, you do. And it turns out you look at those spices that people were,
1: Ready to pay exorbitant mm. amount of money for. In fact, you asked an interesting question in the book, and you said, "Was this the original drug trade?" Yeah, and that's interesting because when you start to learn the history of like the spice wars, like people were killing people in like genocide levels for oh, yeah. spices. Yeah. yeah, and in fact, fifty very... percent of the
0: people on these ocean voyages on for the spice trade died. Jesus, and so it had know, to be something pretty it, worthwhile. It, 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 This was drug trade and they were, the trade they were actually doing was for polyphenols. Mm. I mean, for instance, cinnamon was huge, cloves were huge. And I even have a fun chuckle, um, the gift of the magi uh, in the Bible, Uh, two of the three gifts were actually frankincense and myrrh, Mm -hmm. which are polyphenols and both are shown to uncouple mitochondria. So interesting. So How they brought the little baby Jesus mitochondrial and couplers. Yes, they did. Who knew? Yes, they, they knew. did.
1: It's really incredible. Dr. Gundry, this is phenomenal. The book was really, really interesting. Thank you so much. Where can people get the book? Where can they follow along with you?
0: Uh, hopefully everywhere books are sold, Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com. Please go to your local bookseller. They need your help. The pandemic's been a disaster mm-hmm. for them. They'll have the book. I've had multiple New York Times bestsellers. They stock my books, and they'll
1: stock this one. Um, yeah. And then your 200th episode's coming
0: 200th up. 200th episode of the Dr. Gundry podcast is coming up. Wherever you get your podcasts, we're on Podcast One, the largest podcast carrier.
1: Um, yeah. YouTube, That's YouTube. where I take I got, it in.
0: Yeah, I got two YouTube channels. Find me on Instagram, please. Um mm-hmm. uh, Find me at drgundry.com. Find me at my supplemented food company,
1: uh, gundrymd.com. Hopefully find me. There it is. All right, guys, the book's incredible. I really feel like there's something interesting happening right now with a lot of these discoveries coming together around what's happening with mitochondria Uh, insulin resistance in an advantageous way that goes awry in a Western diet, but it's really, really intriguing. I encourage you guys to dive into it. I think it will make it easier to implement the stuff in your life. Speaking of things you can implement in your life, if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care. Peace.